Edify means to enlighten, encourage, and uplift individuals intellectually, morally, and spiritually. And that's exactly what our Edify podcast guests do as they share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Scott Landry. Thank you for joining us today. And our guest on the Edify podcast is former Congressman Daniel Lipinski. I'm sure you know his name from his reputation as a pro-life Democratic congressman. Unfortunately, an endangered species today. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you. So first, Dan, you have degrees from Northwestern, Stanford, and Duke, and had a promising academic career when you chose to run for Congress in 2004. What led to your choice to run, and was it a hard decision uh, to leave maybe a comfy academic life to go into the battle in the public square down in Washington? Well, you should you should ask my wife uh, this this question also because uh, we had been married for less than a year, and as she'll tell you, she thought she was marrying a political science professor, and so did I. Um, I was uh, when I went to college, I thought I was going to wind up going into politics because uh, I was very interested in, in, in government and in public policy, uh, decided somewhere through college that I thought, no, what I would really like to do is to, to teach. Um, so I wound up going uh, for my master's degree, um, but then decided, you know, that was all engin- engineering. I decided what I really love is government politics, so I should get a PhD in political science. I did that was teaching. I had my a book coming out with the University of Michigan Press in 2004. It was my big opportunity uh, at, at that time to uh, really make it big in political science. But my father, who represented the third district in Illinois, uh, called me and said he, he was retiring and said, I just want to let you know uh, in case you have any interest in, in running. And it, it had to have been the Holy Spirit uh, because at that point, I thought, I really, I feel like I have a lot to offer. I mean, I was always taught that uh, in church, in, in school, that uh, however we can serve, we should do it. And this was an opportunity for, for me to run. My father really helped pave, pave the way for it. Uh, prayed about it. Talked to my wife, of course, and um, she said, "If that's what you want to do, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and do it." And so, you know, served 16 years there in Congress uh, after my, my first election. But uh, it's something that uh, I'm very happy that uh, I did. As happy to be able to serve. So, because your father was uh, an elected congressman, you had an idea of what you were getting into when you were elected uh, to Congress, at least at the beginning. But many of us across America only see uh, representatives maybe giving speeches on the floor or interviews on uh, one of the cable news networks. Give us a little look behind the scenes. What's a typical week like in a typical um, policy policymaking time for a U.S. representative? Well, the the House of Representatives is in, is in session usually thirty to thirty five weeks a year, sometimes a little bit more. And, and when we're there, uh, we're usually there for for four days, Monday through Thursday or Tuesday through Friday, and so. A lot of work goes on during during that time. Very little of it 
is anything that, uh, that you'll see on, on C-SPAN. Uh, a lot of uh, committee meetings, hearings, uh, marking up legislation, but a lot of meeting with, with people out there in Washington. Uh, a lot of time meeting with staff and working on, on legislation. Uh, that, that's something that uh, I, I really spent a lot of time focusing on. I was able to pass 18 bills during my time in, in, in Congress when not much was getting done. But there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that uh, pe people never really see. Uh, they think Congress is all about making, making speeches, but the real work is done places that most people never see. Today is the first time we've met in person, but I've known you as a Catholic pro-life Democrat since your election in 2004. Um, since 2004, there haven't been many Catholic pro-life Democrats, unfortunately. What was that experience like for you, being somebody that was known for being different from most of your colleagues? Well, when I was first elected in 2004, I, I knew that um, I was going to be uncomfortable as a, as a pro-life Democrat, but I also knew that there were, you know, it, it was a minority of, uh, of the party in Washington, but it was still a, a sizable group um, that was, was respected. But as the years went on, there were fewer and fewer pro-life Democrats out in Washington. Now, now you know, back, back home uh, across the country, uh, about 25 to 35% of Democrats say that they are pro-life. But it became very, very difficult, especially in the last few years that I was in Congress, uh, which eventually led to my loss in a Democratic primary, largely based on the fact that I was pro-life and the pro-abortion groups spent a lot of money to defeat me. They narrowly, I narrowly escaped in 2018. And in 2020, I was outspent by more than two to one and, and nearly lost the Democratic primary. So it just became much, much more difficult as, as the years went on. When many of us think about Catholic Democrats um, who are elected officials, unfortunately, uh, we think of Catholics who have compromised church teaching in their votes and in their political advocacy, supporting things that we know and that our faith teaches are gravely wrong. You've seen this firsthand in Washington, and you just described that it, it there were fewer and fewer Catholic pro-life Democrats. Without just speaking about Democratic elected officials, why is it so difficult for some Catholics who are elected to political office to avoid compromising our faith? And related to that, what allowed you to stay faithful on these non-negotiable issues of our faith? Well, I was committed from, from the beginning to stick to being pro-life no matter what. I, I said from the beginning that I would give up my seat in Congress before I gave up being pro-life. I mean, it, it's just that important to me to stand up for what is right and to be Catholic first and to know that I am going to be called to judgment for, for what I do in this world. And it, it's not worth giving up what I know to be true to fight to protect the most vulnerable. It's not worth you know, giving that up just to maintain a seat in, in Congress. I know it, it's very tough, and, and I saw 
many of my colleagues who, you know, for whatever reason, uh, decided that uh, they were not going to stick with being pro-life. They're at one time pro-life, uh, but they chose their their political career. And I, it's very tough. And it's easy for people to come up with excuses for, for themselves for, for why they do it. You know, I'm doing, some, I'm doing these other good things and I, I need to be here to do these, these things. And well, the, the life issue, you know, I, I can, uh, you know, I just put that, put that aside. Um, I was never able to do that. I never wanted to do that. And after losing the primary in 2020, I was, you know, never more joyful about what I did during my political career because I knew I stood for what was right, uh, that I could, you know, look at myself in the mirror, I could sleep peacefully uh, with what I did. Uh, and I knew for me, there was no comparison. A, a seat in Congress was not worth giving up what I know to be true. Many listeners to this podcast perhaps come from a Catholic family where their uh, grandparents were devout Catholics and Democrat because of the Democratic Party platform. Their parents were Democrat uh, because the Democratic platform and the Democratic Party actively welcomed them and embraced their pro-life views. But a lot of younger uh, Catholics um, from those families have said, you know, I feel like I'm not welcomed in the Democratic Party if I'm going to have my pro-life views be a very important part of who I am. So they've gravitated either to voting Republican or becoming Republican. I'm sure some of our listeners uh, who appreciate how strongly you want to live your Catholic faith and as part of that to advocate for life all the time, wonder why you haven't uh, chosen to be a Republican. Why do you remain a Democrat? Well, I, I always remember my uh, former colleague in, in the House, uh, Mike McIntyre from North Carolina, who was a, a pro-life Democrat, very committed. Uh, he, he lost his reelection, I believe, in, in 2012. But he used to, we used to talk about this, and he'd always say to me, you know, people ask me that question all the time. Why do you, why are you still a Democrat uh, when you are pro-life? And he'd say, well, we need to evangelize the non-believers, not the, not the believers. Um, I, I think it's really important for there to be a pro-life presence in the Democratic Party. I think for the pro-life movement to be effective, it is critical that it is not just confined to one party. And, you know, I understand people who, I had dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of people come up to me through the years and say, I used to be a Democrat, but I couldn't, I could no longer be a Democrat because of the life issue. And, and I understood that and I didn't argue against them, but I chose to stay to try to fight for life within the Democratic Party, because I think it's very important. So you mentioned earlier, after serving 16 years in Congress, winning election eight times, in 2020, you were narrowly defeated in the Democratic primary because of the huge dollars and the huge numbers of volunteers put forward by pro-abortion groups uh, who, un who united to defeat you. Um, 
What are you working on now? Um, how I'm sure our listeners are saying we hope Dan might run again, or we hope he can raise up many other pro-life Democrats, perhaps if they share your vision for both parties um, being pro-life parties someday. So, what are you what are you up to now, Dan? Well, I, I'm helping other pro-life Democratic candidates. I'm working with Democrats for Life. We have a, a candidate here in in Chicago. Chris Butler, who's running in the in the first district, but I, I'm continuing uh, my pro-life activism and my, you know, I I want to be a, a Catholic, uh, I want to be a Catholic evangelical, and, and um, right now uh, you can find my work at danlipinski.com. Uh, I've been doing a lot of a lot of writing uh, on this subject. Uh, eventually, like to be at a uh, university or, or think tank just to, just to have the opportunity. I've I've, I've felt called. Uh, I remember after 2018 primary, the narrow miss. Uh, at that point, I I really felt called to do more to evangelize. I understood like I had not understood before that that there are a lot of people who knew me and were looking at my witness. And I think it's very important that I continue that, uh, especially with young people. Young people especially need it. And having been a former college professor, uh, I'm going and speaking on college campuses uh, and trying to in, in inspire young, young Catholics. So that's what I'm spending most of my time doing these days. I haven't completely ruled out running for, for office again. Uh, but uh, I, I, I have nothing to uh, nothing to announce here. Great. So, you know, we hear the words of Scripture: "Blessed are those who, are, when they're persecuted, uh, that they continue to choose to follow Jesus Christ." You've certainly done that. Uh, our Catholic faith is never easy to practice if if you take it seriously. But sometimes it 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 can become uncomfortable for us and for you. Uh, standing up for your Catholic faith, being a Catholic first congressman, uh, in most people would say cost you your seat in Congress. So there was a huge cost. Uh, it did make you uncomfortable, and it is an inspiration to see people in all different walks of life, with politics being one, who were willing to be Catholic first. So thank you, Dan, uh, for everything you've done in Congress, fighting for the life issue. Thank you for being a witness to the Catholic faith in the public square. And thank you for being our guest on the Edify podcast today. Thank you, Scott. As Dan mentioned, you can find out more about him and his writings and what he's up to. Tell me, Dan, is it Daniel or DanLipinski.com? DanLipinski.com. Twitter feed at DanLipinski2. So that's DanLipinski.com and Twitter at DanLipinski and then the number two. Thanks very much for joining us on today's Edify episode. Please stay tuned for more content here on the Edify channel. Thank you for listening. To make it easy for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.